Well, let me ask you a question. Don't you love being sick? No? You don't love being sick? There is so much fun when you're sick. I mean, up all night with the chills, up all night driving the porcelain bus. If you don't know what that is, think about it. <laughs> Having headaches, no energy. I mean, stomach bloating, hurt. I mean, it's great, isn't it? Being, nobody's saying that. Y'all are shaking your head like, no, it ain't fun being sick. Well, I mean, you know, now let, let's be honest. When you were a kid, just for a minute, let's be honest. When you were a kid, didn't you kind of want to get sick a little bit? Yeah, some of you, yeah, stay out of school, right? Oh, woohoo, mom, do I have a temperature? Y'all have me do that. Did I have a temperature, you know? And your mom gives you that thermometer. Of course, that was back in the good old days where they had, uh, uh, they had the uh, digital thermometers. That was back when they had the tongue thermometers. And even worse, they had the other thermometer, you know. But mom would check it out, you know, and hey, you're doing great, you know. You're, you know, and you're like 99.9. Oh, I'm sick, mom. I get So that time, let's face it, when we were kids, we, were, we enjoyed being sick for about a day, right? And then you're, all your friends are outside, and they're all playing, and, and your mom's not letting you go anywhere, you know. It was always one of those things, well, if you're too sick to go to school, you're too sick to go out and play. Y'all ever use that one on your kids? Yeah, so, I mean, when we were kids, maybe we liked to be sick for a day, but we kind of gave up that. I mean, here's the deal. When I asked how many of y'all like to be sick, I didn't see anybody say, oh yeah, I love it. It's great. Because most normal people, and I'm going to assume all of us in here are fairly normal, okay? I, I don't know. Um, they always say everybody's normal till you get to know them. Um, but, you know, most of us, we don't really care to get sick. I mean, we want to feel good, right? We want to have energy. I don't like having headaches. I, I don't like being up and down all night, you know, sweaty. I don't like upset stomachs. I, I, don't, I don't particularly like driving the porcelain bus at all. And, uh, you know, nobody likes that. Nobody likes being sick. Now, why do we get sick? Well, I think we all know, right? Your body gets invaded by these pathogens, it's a big word for today, you know, either by breathing it or you get a cut or something like that, and you get bacteria and you get viruses, and you get fungus, and you get parasites, and all that stuff makes you sick. And, and we get sick by the air we breathe. Obviously, it has a lot of that stuff floating around, the food we drink or the drinks we drink or through openings in our skin. Lots of ways we get sick. But here's one thing I know about you is because it's true of me. When we get sick, there is one thing, especially after a day or two, that's on our mind. And what's that? I want to get well, right? I don't want to stay here in bed all day. I don't want to stay here feeling horrible. I don't want to lay in bed while all my friends are going out to play or, or things like that. I want to go out. I don't want to be sitting here coughing my head off because my head hurts. I don't want my nose to be looking like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer anymore. I want to get well. What about spiritual sickness? What about that? Can your soul get sick? Can your spirit get sick? Now, I think even people that aren't Christians, that aren't Christ followers, would agree to that. I mean, I think there's a famous video game called Dark Souls, and there's been movies about that. Even, even if you're not a particularly religious folk, we can, we can look at people and say, there are sick on the inside. Now, the question is, how do you get sick? How, how do you get your soul sick or your spirit sick? How, how, what do you do if your soul is sick? How, what do you do in those cases? Well, we've been going through some Psalms in the Old Testament, so if you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Psalms, and if, if you have a pew Bible, it's going to be in the Old Testament section, and it's really, the book of Psalms is pretty easy to hit. It's a big one. 
All right, there's 150 chapters in it. And um, so, uh, but uh, Psalms, Proverbs, if you hit Proverbs, go back to the le left. If you hit Job, go to the right. It's right there between Job's, Job's Psalms and Proverbs. And today we're going to look at Psalm 38 because this is a psalm that's describing David. David's talking about it at a time in his life when his soul is sick. He is spiritually sick. Now, if you wonder what caused this, it's back in the book of 2 Samuel 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12. We're not going to go through all of it, but you probably know the story. If you know anything about the Bible or have grown up in Sunday school, and if you haven't, I'll just tell you this story. There was a king in Israel named David, and uh, he's the king that killed Goliath. Everybody knows, maybe know that story. But later in life, when all the kings were out to war, he should have been out to war, but he decided to stay home. And he goes out one night to walk around on his roof. And, of course, you have to understand back then that was the coolest part. So you went up to the roof to get cool. And, uh, you know, and he looks down and there's Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath on the roof. Again, uh, would have been a fairly common thing because that would have been the coolest area. But obviously Bathsheba, you know, the king's palace is at the highest point there in Jerusalem. So he can look down and he can see, if you're not careful, what people are doing on their roofs. And so he looks down, and Bathsheba hasn't maybe taken all the precautions she should have, and she's taking a bath, and David's like, wow, who is that woman? And so he calls his people together. Now, mind you, David's married this time. I mean, he's actually got more than one wife, uh, you know, but he's, he wants Bathsheba. And so he sends them out, and they get Bathsheba. And one of them actually says, hey, you know, that's Uriah's wife. So David kind of has a warning shot by one of his attendees. This is Uriah's wife, you know, and he knew Uriah. And uh, so, hey, just leave her alone, you know. But David's overcome with lust, and he's like, hey, bring her to me. And, and of course, they sleep together, and Bathsheba gets pregnant. And uh, David, as the king, says, i got to figure out how to cover this up. So he actually calls for Uriah. <clears throat> which was her husband to come back from the battlefield. So they bring Uriah back. He's hoping, of course, Uriah will spend the night with Bathsheba, and then nobody would know. But Uriah, being a faithful soldier, does not sleep with his wife. He sleeps out on the doorstep of the house. And David brings him back the next day, because David realizes his plan's in jeopardy, and so he tries to get Uriah drunk and uh, get Uriah to sleep with his wife. Uriah refuses to do it. So then David sends him back to the line and tells his commander, make sure you put Uriah on the front of the line, then you guys pull back at a critical moment, so Uriah will get killed, and Uriah is murdered. He, he dies in battle. So now to David, you know, everybody just says, oh man, poor Uriah got killed, and then when Bathsheba comes up pregnant nine months later, okay, um, you know, must have been before Uriah left or something, whatever like that. So David thought, he had his tracks covered here. And again, this was so uncharacteristic for David. I mean, he was a really good king. I mean, he, he wrote a lot of these psalms right here that we're going to look at tonight, uh, today. And <clears throat> so he thought he had his tracks covered. So about nine months have passed. In fact, we know more than nine months have passed uh, by the time this psalm is written because Bathsheba has a child, has a little boy. And so this psalm describes that period of time from when David committed adultery until Nathan calls him out. If you know the story, eventually Nathan the prophet comes in 
And Nathan tells David a story, and David gets all upset, and Nathan nails him to the wall and says, you're that person, you're that man responsible for this, and David knows he is pegged, okay? But this psalm right here covers that time in between the time that Nathan, before Nathan comes and tells David and exposes David's sin. So this is that time when David has not admitted to anybody his sin, and, and he's writing about this time later. I think he's looking back, and he's writing about this time. So look at Psalm 38, and here's what David starts off. <clears throat> he says, verse 1, he says, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. In other words, hey, God, please don't get mad. Have you ever had your kids do that? Like when they were, hey, Mom, Dad, now don't get mad, but <laughs> I got to tell you something. That's right. And when they do that, you're like, if you're a parent, you're like, okay. And you, usually if you've done this as a kid to your parents maybe, you always try and say, now, don't, now what I want to tell you, don't get mad. And if you're a good parent or maybe a wise parent, you say, now I'm not going to guarantee you I'm not going to get mad, okay? But you know how the kids always like to preface that. So again, either way, you're afraid what's going to happen. So I think this is David starting off this psalm. He's like, okay, God, now don't get mad. Don't punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. But, look at what this. David says, let me tell you how I've been feeling, God, for this last year, nine months, year or so, that I've been trying to hide this sin. Look at what he says in verse 2. <clears throat> for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no health in my body because of your indignation. There is no strength in my bones. And here, here's the big reason why. Here's the reason why. Because of my sin. For my sins have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. I, I want to share with you something very simple this morning. And I try to give us hooks that maybe just stick in your head. But here it is. Sin makes you sick. It does. When we harbor sin in our lives, it literally makes you sick in your spirit, and even can be physically. And I say, what is sin? Well, let me just define it. Sin is anything that's rebellion against God, okay? It's anything that's against God's standard. For example, I'll just list some of the more common ones. You may know lying. Obviously, God's standard is to tell the truth. Cheating, stealing, gossiping, coveting, greed, slander, any sex outside of marriage, uh, between a man and a woman, any sex outside of that is sin, taking God's name in vain, failing to honor your father and mother, lust, hate, out, outbursts of anger, drunkenness, or any, quite frankly, allowing anything to control you outside of God. Now, that was just a somewhat small list, but here's what I think I know about you, because I know this is true of me. Everybody in this room and everybody watching on Facebook is guilty of sin. There's not a one of us in here that is perfect. There was only one perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ, and we crucified him. All of us in here have sinned. You might like, you know, you've taken that pencil that wasn't yours. Well, you stole. Told that little white lie. It's still a lie. You're a liar. Lusted. Well, you've committed adultery in your heart, Jesus said. If you've hated somebody, Jesus said that's, in fact, Jesus even raised the bar. He says, if you hate somebody, it's basically like murder in your heart. 
I mean, all of us in this room, everybody watching perhaps by Facebook today, I can guarantee you this, because I know it's true of me. We are all sinners. I'm a sinner talking to a bunch of sinners. Okay? <clears throat> We're all sinners. Now, there's two responses to this. First of all, we can just excuse it. Well, that's just how I am. Can't help it. I'm just a liar. That's just how I am. Well, we can do that. If you find yourself when it comes to sin in your life saying, that's just no big deal, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, that should be a gut check right there. Because if you say you're a Christian and you're like, ah, it's no big deal, you better check and make sure you're really a Christian. Because if you can easily excuse sin in your life, that's a good, strong indicator that maybe you've been playing church but you're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, and let me define that real quickly, that's a person who has said, I admit it, God, I'm a sinner. I have lied. I have I've done all those things, or you know, a lot of those things. I admit it. I am guilty. I need somebody to deliver me from my sin. I believe that I'm going to take it for what it says in your word and, and, and what I see. Jesus died on that cross. He rose again. He defeated sin and death. I need him to save me. Please save me. That's a Christ follower. And if you're a Christ follower, you can't just blow off sin because you are sensitive to sin. You should be more sensitive to sin than anybody else. So the second response is you feel shame. You feel regret. You feel the guilt and pain of sin. So if you're a Christ follower, and again, Christ followers are not perfect people. I'm a Christ follower, but I'm not perfect. We still sin too. But if you're a Christ follower, you're going to be sensitive to sin. And you're not going to want to stay in sin. And you're going to want to get healed from that sin. Because again, as a Christ follower, the reason you receive Christ is you're like, I know the depths of my depravity. I need Christ to save me. And when Christ saves you, the last thing you want to do is trample on him. So as a Christ follower, you should be sensitive to sin. But it's real easy for Christ followers. And yes, David was a, a, a follower of God. He loved God with all of his heart and soul. But David got into this sin, and he just didn't want to deal with it. But let me tell you something. It was not roses. Look at David. Look at what's going on in his life. If you look back at verse 2, he says, Your arrows have sunk deep inside of me. Here's the deal. If you're truly a Christ follower and you're living in sin, there's pain in your heart. There's pain in your heart. Verse 2, he says, God, your hand has pressed down on me. There, if you're a true Christ follower, there's a weight that's on your heart. Verse 4, look at verse 4 in your Bibles real quick. For my sins have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me. You just feel, there's just like this shroud. Here, here's the thing. Sinning Christ followers are not going to be happy Christ followers. They simply cannot be. Happy Christ followers, all right? There, it, it, there is no comfort, there's no joy, there's no peace if you're a Christ follower and you're living in sin. And here's one thing I know. When you're sick physically, like you got the flu or whatever, here's one thing I know because it's true of me, you're not a fun person to be around, right? If you're feeling physically sick, you don't, people don't want to be around you because what you're going to do, oh, I feel horrible, you know, or you blow your nose all over the place or whatever. Nobody wants to be around you. Here's the deal. When you're spiritually sick, guess what? Nobody really wants to be around you. And you don't want to be around people 
when you're spiritually sick because you're not living the life that God has called you to live. And, 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 and you know, it's a mark, I believe. Uh, if a person says, yes, I'm a Christ follower, and they give you a salvation testimony, but they're lashing out at people, and they're angry, then that's a good indication that there's some unconfessed sin that's stuck in their life. Because hurting people, guess what? Hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Sinning Christians are not happy Christians, okay? Why? Because they have the Holy Spirit inside and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need to repent. Hey, you need to turn around. Hey, you need to go back. Christ followers cannot be happy people living in sin because they are spiritually sick. And look how miserable David is. Look at verse 5. He says this, my wounds, look at verse 5, my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. That's that sin with Bathsheba. I am bent over, verse 6, and brought low all day long. I go around in mourning. David's like, man, it's just like this rain clouds hanging over my head. He says, verse 7, for my loins are full of burning pain and there is no health in my body. Verse 8, I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. Again, I'm just going to come back to this point. Sin makes you sick. Sin makes you you sick. And here's David. He's describing this period in his life when he was covering up his sin, thinking nobody knew about it, but inside he was dying. Can you imagine how hard that would have been? You know, he's the king. He's putting on this front. Oh, I love God, but he knows there's this sin in his life that he's not willing to deal with. I mean, and, and look, at, I, I think even, it's even affecting David physically. He says, verse 6, I'm bent over and brought low. Verse 7, there's no health in my body. I am faint. I mean, here's the thing I know about this. When we have sin in our life that we won't deal with, it drains you. It does. You just feel drained. You don't feel up to, to snuff. You, you feel like you're living in bubble wrap. If there is unconfessed sin in your life, that's what you feel like. It affects you physically. You know, we can use an easy illustration. We all know, uh, unfortunately, people get caught in the web of drug addiction. It affects people physically. At our last church, when we had Celebrate Recovery, well, they still have it, Celebrate Recovery. I mean, a lot of times, meth was a huge, huge problem in our community. <clears throat> we were one of the top <clears throat> producers in America of meth in our county was. And uh, if you've seen people who are hooked on meth, their teeth turn black. A lot of times they, they, they scrape themselves because they have hallucinations. And I mean, it, it, they just, and you've seen people that maybe have years of uh, not only drug abuse, but alcohol abuse. And you've seen pictures and they may be 40 years old, but they look like they're 70. Sin just affects a person Physically, that's what it does. And again, David was being affected physically, and he, he's also being affected emotionally. Look at verse 6. He says, all day long I go around mourning. In verse 8, I groan because of the anguish of my heart. I mean, David was trying to put on a good front during that year, trying to keep it covered up, but inside he was dying. And I got a feeling David was probably a little bit more moodier than he normally might have been. People probably like, David, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm okay. But inside, he was dying. So at the drop of a hat, David probably 
blew up at people. Because again, hurting people hurt people. And when we harbor sin in our life, it affects our relationships. So here's the deal. If you're harboring sin in your life right now, I can guarantee you it's affecting your relationship. You tend to be disconnected from people. Because you don't want people to get too close. Because they may figure it out. You tend to stay away from godly people. A lot of times, People will say, I'm a Christ follower, but they get in sin like David did, and they don't want to deal with it. You know one of the first things that goes? Coming to church on Sunday morning. Because the last thing they want to do is be around other people who are followers of Jesus. Because they're like, they know there's something they got to deal with. Now, I'm not saying everybody doesn't go to church, that's the case. But I'm just saying, that's often something that happens. And again, when, when you're sick, you just don't want to be around people. You don't want people by you and things like that. And, and again, it affects your relationships. David wrote about this time in another psalm, Psalm 32. I just want to show it to you. He also wrote about it in Psalm 32. Here's what he said. It's on the screen. When I kept silent about my sin, when I didn't deal with it, my bones became brittle. He, he, he said, my, my body wasted away from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. That's what David was feeling during this time. Again, sin makes you sick. Now, here's a question. If this was such an awful time in David's life, and it's a question for us if you have sin in your life, why didn't he just come clean? Why didn't he just admit it? Why, I mean, he would have avoided all this. Here's the reason. The same reason a lot of us, when we have sin in our life, we don't come clean. Because it means we have to admit something. We have to admit to ourselves and we have to admit to God that we have rebelled. We have to admit that we're not perfect. So a lot of times we wear the masks in church, but on the inside, we're dying. Because confessing your sin means you've admitted, yes, I have sinned. I'm not a perfect person. Do you know why it's so difficult for so many people to respond to Jesus as Savior? It's, the reason it's difficult for people to give their heart and life to Christ is because they have to admit that they need a Savior. And we don't want to do that. We live in America. Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You can do it on your own. And again, it's just, you know, we want to be proud. And we're proud people. And, and, and to come to Christ means I've got to admit, Lord, I'm a sinner I have failed. I can't get to heaven on my own. There's no way. Please save me. That, I mean, but a lot of people won't do that because they have issues with pride. And even a lot of Christ followers, even though at one point they did that, over time they'll sometimes get caught into sin and they know their sin. They're miserable. They feel like they're dying on the inside. They're under that con constant conviction of the Holy Spirit. But they don't want to admit, God, I have failed. I have failed sinned. And so just like David, they go around sick. You know, here's what Jesus said about salvation in Mark chapter 10 verse 15, because this is what it takes. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of heaven like a child will never in it, enter it. Jesus saying when it comes to salvation, you've got to be like a child. Yes. You know, child, children are easily pliable. And that's what you have to be. You have to be willing to come to Christ. Children haven't lived long enough to have an ego, right? So they easily respond, and so should we. Again, now was David a true believer? Yeah. David was a believer. He loved the Lord, but he, like all of us, 
he got involved in sin. And, 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 and again, like all of us, he didn't want to admit it to himself. And again, this, these were high stakes for David because as king, if he were to admit this, obviously this was going to go public. And David was just thinking maybe he could just let it blow over, but he was dying on the inside. So he was walking around hurting. You know, when I was in fifth grade, um, I started a new school in Chattanooga. And um, at our school, I just started at, they loved to play kickball during recess. Now, our playground was a parking lot with asphalt, okay? I don't know how we lived. I don't know how any of us survived because that was before the days of rubber wood chips. If you fell down, you bounced back up. Uh, but, and, you know, before everybody walked around with bubble wrap. But back in those days, uh, we, we played kickball on this hard asphalt thing. Now, we didn't use a sissy kickball. We used a soccer ball. All right, we, we, we played... This was, and we, and by the way, my fifth grade class was great. We beat the sixth graders. We were the champions of kickball. But uh, we were, they were playing kickball one day, and I was not playing. Uh, I was not the best kickball player to start with. I eventually got better. But I was walking across the playground, and somebody kicked that ball and just hit my wrist and snapped it. And I went to class. Now, I started getting this nice big goose egg up on my wrist. And my teacher looked at it. She said, well, I think it'll be okay. So I sat there all day in class with that throbbing, broken, it was a broken wrist. And it was so painful. And you know, the last thing I wanted to do, I got home that night and um, my neighbor across the street, she had some nursing and she, she looked at it and said, I think it's broken. And my parents got home and so they took me to the doctor. And you know, the last thing I wanted to do, I was kind of hoping I could just let it ride, even though it was painful. I hoped I could let it ride. But the last thing I wanted to do is go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor. And even though they numbed that wrist up, they had to pull it back to set it. And uh, my mom said you could hear me screaming out in the uh, room. Because, I mean, even with the, whatever they put in there, it hurt. And I had a beautiful uh, cast like Lois and Joyce. And mine wasn't pink, though. But... Uh, but man, it hurt. Man, it hurt. But I, I had to go through class that day with a hurting wrist that was broken. And so many people are like that. They go through life, Christ followers, hurting because they got into sin and they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit it to others. They don't want to admit it to themselves. They don't want to admit it to Christ. And so they go through life constantly in pain. And that's what David was going through because he just, he just couldn't bring himself to admit, I am an adulterer. I sinned, I am responsible for Uriah's death, and in a sense, I'm a murderer. I have done a heinous thing. And of course, you know the story. Finally, Nathan confronts David and says, you're guilty. And Nathan knows he's exposed. So how do you get healed? Sin sickness is healed by this. Confession and repentance. If you've got sin in your life that you're harboring, you've got to get real with God and yourself. Look at what David said in verse 9. He said, Lord, my every desire is known to you. By the way, God doesn't know. Uh, I mean, God knows. It's not that God doesn't know, okay? So he knows what you've done. Lord, my every desire known to you, my sighing is not hidden from you. Again, confession is not telling God something he didn't know. It's not like God says, oh, I didn't know that. Confession is just agreeing with God. 
You know it. You know my every desire. Look at verse 9. He says, uh, Lord, my every desire known from you, my sighing is not hidden from me. And then he starts admitting the pain that he's going through. Verse 10, my heart races, my strength leaves me, even the light of my eyes has faded. Again, he, David's just, he's, okay, God, I'm just going to lay it on the table. I am nothing more than a shell of a person. I've been numb. I've just been feeling like a cloud. I've just been walking through these last nine months last year. There's been no peace in my heart. It's just horrible. I have no light in my eyes. I mean, it's just like I, my, my life's just been drained out of me. It's everything I can do. Look at verse 11. He says, my loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction. My relatives stand at a distance. I mean, people are just kind of, you know, because I, I keep lashing out and I just keep being a hurtful person because I'm a hurting person and nobody wants me. And so again, sin, sickness is healed by confession and repentance. If you're going to get healed from harboring sin, it doesn't start with excuses. It starts with confession. I mean, we can make all sorts of excuses. I hear it all the time. Oh, this is how God made me. That's never going to heal you from your sin. Oh, you know, I just couldn't help myself. Oh, I, I didn't hurt anybody. It was consensual. David could have used a lot of those. Hey, it was Bathsheba's fault. She should have done a better job of covering her rooftop. You know, it's not my fault. You know what? Uriah should have stayed with his wife. You know, he could have made all sorts of excuses. But it, again, being healed from sin doesn't start with excuses. It starts with confession. It begins with agreeing with God. This is what I've done this is what it's causing me. Look at verse 12. Those who seek my life set traps. Those who want to harm me, threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. Again, he could have used all sorts of excuses, but he doesn't. He just says, I've got to let go of the excuses. This is reality. This is what I'm going through. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse 13. He says, I am like a deaf person. I do not hear. I'm, I'm t okay, God, I'm just tired of making excuses. I'm tired of hearing excuses. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. Okay, God, I'm not going to make any more excuses. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments. Okay, there's no more excuses here. God, here it is. This is who I am. This is what I've done. Again, sin, sickness is healed by confession and repentance. It begins by admitting to yourself and admitting to God, but it also not only is confession, it also involves repentance. And repentance is changing your mind, changing your direction. Okay, God, yes, I've done that. I am not going to go down that road anymore. I agree that's sin with you. I agree that's what it is. No more for me. I'm going this way towards you. Sin, sickness healed by confession and repentance. Look at what David says. Verse 15. I put my hope in you. Okay. I'm putting it all in you. Lord, you will answer me. Lord, my God. Not going to try and hide this anymore. I'm coming clean. And here's the deal. And we'll look at David's prayer more in depth of confession and repentance next week. But here's the deal. John told us, the Apostle John, that if you confess your sins, God's faithful and he's just. And he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God's not going to say, I'm not forgiving you, because there's nothing you've done that God cannot forgive. Doesn't mean you may not have to face the consequences. But God can still forgive you of your sins. And in fact, let me tell you one other thing that I have found for me that's helpful. Not only confessing your sins to yourself, admitting to yourself, not only confessing to God, but I think it's also important that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that come alongside of you. Here's what James wrote. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be 
healed. It's bringing it out into the open. Now, you definitely need to be with people that you know you can trust, but this is very, very important. David knew if he was going to confess, it was going to go public. That's the reason why I don't think he confessed for so long until Nathan finally made him face the consequences of his sin. And so David, knowing his sin's going to go public, he just prays to God. And here's what he says in verse 16. For I said, don't let them rejoice over me, those who are arrogant towards me when I stumble. For I am about to fall, and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my guilt. I am anxious because of my sin. Sin makes you sick. Sin makes you sick. And let me tell you something. If you're going to deal with your sin and be honest with God, be honest with yourself, you're going to have mockers. You're going to have mockers. And David had that. He said this. He said, my enemies are vigorous and powerful. They hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good. But David says, you know what? I'm just going to focus on you, God. This is between me and you. I sinned. I confess. Here it is. And he has one last request for the Lord. Do not abandon me. And do not be far from me. Do not abandon me. Do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, Lord my Savior. So here's the deal. All of us in this room are sinners. Now there may be some watching Facebook, maybe some in here that you've never had that point in your life when you personally have said, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. Please save me. If you've never done that, you need to do it now. Because right now, there's, you don't have heaven in your future. Because you'll have to pay for your sins. So if you haven't done that, I'm going to challenge you this morning in a few minutes. Just maybe right there in your chair, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I would tell God, name some sins I'm guilty of. I need a Savior, and I believe Jesus is he. Please save me. And if you do that this morning, come and tell me. We want to rejoice with you. If you are a Christ follower, but like David, you have allowed sin to get into your life and you're harboring it there right now, you know the feeling because you know that feeling of a sick soul. I'm going to challenge you this morning to confess to the Lord, agree with him. Yes, God, this is a sin. Yes, I've been harboring it in my life. And right now, I want to lay at the altar and repent. And I'm, God, by your help, I'm not going to go back to that. I'm going to turn around. I want to be healed. I want to be whole. I want to have the joy of the Lord. I want to have the peace in my life. And again, this is not a one-time thing. All of us have to do it. Again, part of Christ's likeness is constantly, we all sin. We still need to confess and repent. But that should be what you do when you're right. Now, you, shouldn't, you should sin less as you grow in Christ. But we all still occasionally stumble. The key is don't let it stick in your heart. Sin is not your master. You have the ability to say, no, you are a saint. You're not just a sinner who can't help but sin. You are a saint who has the power through Christ to say no to sin. But if you've given in to sin and you've let it rule over you and you're a Christ follower, admit it, confess it, repent of it, and let's move on. Let's move on. No sense in going through the rest of your life harboring sin in your life. So are you willing to admit, confess, and repent? Let's pray. 
Father, we are all sinners in this room. There may be some here today in this room or watching by Facebook who have never had a personal encounter with you. I pray right now this morning before they walk out of here, right now, they will ask you to save them and deliver them from their sins and they will say, Lord, I'm giving you my heart and life. Save me. I repent. I'm going to turn away from that. And Lord, there may be some here this morning who are Christ followers and they've had sin in their life. They've been harboring, holding on to, not willing to confess. And they know how sick they have felt. They have felt that your hand pressed down on them, your arrows in them. They, they have just felt drained. I pray right now that they'll stop running from you, that they'll run back to you because you are a loving Heavenly Father who will accept them back. But they'll admit it, confess, and repent. Right now. Father, this morning, I just pray that we'll leave out of here differently than when we came in. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to.